Today we're going to look at, as a church, our vision as to why we exist. But then we're going to spend time talking about this word called culture. I don't know if you know what culture is, but we're going to talk about that. Um, Does anyone know our vision? And I hope you do because we show you all the time. It's on the wall out there. But let me tell you this first. The vision, write down, the vision is why we exist. The vision is is why, and and we're here to help people believe, there you go, believe in Jesus. Number two, belong, belong, (laughs) you got the B right, that's good, they all start with Bs. Uh, Number three, become, yeah, 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 become a fully devoted follower of Christ. And number four, Terrence, you got this one? (laughs) build God's kingdom the first and most important thing we do as a church is to get people to believe in Jesus is to lead people to Jesus that is our number one priority and in fact that it should be all of our number one priorities not just as a church but individually your calling is to help lead people to Jesus As you all well know, a few months ago, I started stepping more into teaching on a consistent basis, and this side of ministry is is really new to me. I I still have, I still feel like I've got a long way to go to get to to get good, but I feel like personally, I'm just being honest with y'all, I'm starting to move in the in the right direction, and and to be completely open, uh, it it seemed that uh, I've been a little bit of a fish out of water. Okay, uh, I've been a little bit above my head, just trying to figure some things out. I've always been the behind-the-scenes person. Dad's always been the upfront person, and now there is a little bit more of a shifting where he's helping behind the scenes, and I'm the one up in front and trying to figure out how to 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 lead us and to guide us. And to be quite honest, when I come up here, when I get done, I ask you guys not to touch my back because it's all sweaty because I'm nervous still. You know, like I still have that aspect uh, going on. Um, I've been kind of really, I hope you guys would agree with this, more focused on coming up with messages than I have been about leading the church. And um, I, I hope you'll agree with this. I think the messages for the last six months have been pretty good. <laughs> like, I, I'm, I'm not trying to like, doot, doot, I'm not trying to do that at all. I, I'm literally just, I'm, I'm figuring this stuff out. And it's like, I've looked back over the last six months at the content. I actually go back and, and re-listen to these multiple times to critique myself. And, and really, there's things that I say that aren't in my notes. I go back and I'm like, oh, okay, God was speaking to me there. That seems to be a better flow than what was in my notes. So um, I go back and I listen and I learn from that stuff. And I, I've gone back and, and listened. It's like th- there's been some really good content that's, that's come out. And if you've taken it and applied it, um, I think your life's going to be better off than it was six months ago. And that's my goal is to always get you one step closer to Jesus. Would anybody disagree with you were closer to Jesus now than you were six months ago? Okay, just making sure you're not at fault here. I'm just kidding. Just making sure that I'm, I'm doing this here. So uh, with that, I, I want to kind of let you know here in a few weeks, we're going to change the service all up and we're going to take time 
to share what you've learned over the last six months. I'm going to do a very, what, what did you guys teach me? Paquito, but it wasn't Paquito. What? what? Poco. Poco, whatever that is. I'm going to do a little bit of talking, and I want to hear you all talk. We're going to just talk. What's God been showing you in the last six months? What have you learned? What have you applied? What have you tried to apply and it didn't work out? What are you trying to figure out now? And we're just going to talk as a family. And so if uh, I'm not going to tell you when that Sunday is, I'll tell you the week before. And I don't know if I'll do that because if you don't show up, then I know why you didn't show up. And then we're all going to show up at your house. And we'll just, one way or another, we're going to hear your story. And a few weeks ago, you filled out little yellow cards, and all of that is starting to come into play with this series. I don't know if you remember those little yellow cards we filled out, turned in. Um, but we have the, the vision of the church, and that is important because it is the pathway, pun intended, for us to be guided uh, to assure that we are doing what God has called us to do as a church. The vision is the why. It's, it's the why we exist. The second part is the culture. The, the, and we can look at it this way. The vision is the steering wheel, or the, the vision is the, the vehicle. This is a car. This is the car. And the culture is the steering wheel. The, 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 you, can, you can have a vision, but if you don't properly steer the vision... The vision won't take you to where it needs to go. Does that make sense? If you have a vision and you don't steer it properly, with a clear vision, you can still miss the, tar the, the, the target. Because you have to steer the vision. This is a true story. I changed the names and some of the details of it because... If they're watching, I don't want to ever embarrass somebody. Well, I'll embarrass Terrence but, and, and Travis, but outside of that, like, I don't want to embarrass like, actual friends. So, no, just <laughs> I, I don't want to embarrass them. Um, but we had a lady in our church in, in Stillwater who uh, was directionally challenged. Um, she, just, she just didn't know directions. And, and, I, and I get it because I'm actually directionally challenged as well. Uh, I often use a GPS to come to church from my house. <laughs> like, and it's, it's one turn and one turn, and I get confused if I'm on Main Street or Robinson, and I'm like, which way? And I just, that stuff just doesn't compute in my mind. And so I get what, this, I get what happened to this girl, but I want to share it with you. Uh, she was 18, uh, grew up in Stillwater, been driving for a couple of years, and she was going to go on her first road trip outside of town. And so her mom and dad wrote down all the directions for her. Turn left, turn right, turn left, turn right, go one mile, turn right, do all this. Gave her the whole kit and caboodle. She was going to leave like at 10 o'clock, and she was supposed to arrive at her destination like at 1. So like about a three-hour trip, no big deal. She leaves at 10 o'clock, and at 3 or 4 o'clock... Um, the house where she's going calls mom and dad, their, her mom and dad, and says, hey, where, where's this girl at? Like, I thought she was going to be here, and, and that made the parents worried. She should have been there three hours prior to that, and now they're not sure what's going on. So they get in their car, they begin to trace the steps of where this person's going, with the, 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 and they can't find her. Um, they get all the way to the, 
the family member's house of where she was going, and now they're, they're scared. Can't find their child in a car. This is before cell phones. Couldn't call anybody. Um, they, don't, they don't really know what to do. And they call my parents. They call some other people in the church. Hey, start praying. We've lost our daughter. <laughs> and um, about that time, she calls. Hey, mom and dad, I think I'm lost. And really? Like, what, what was the first tipping point? And she's like, I don't know where I'm at. And, and the dad says, well, describe to me the, the location. Describe to me, like, what's around you. And she began to tell him. And the dad, thankfully, kind of drove the area and knew the area pretty well. And she, he said, I know exactly where you're at. Do not move. Don't turn left. Don't turn right. You pull in that parking lot. You stay still. So she pulled in the parking lot, and her parents drove, picked her up, and began to question her. Um, how, 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 did you, how did you get lost? Like, I have the map out for you. I got everything laid out. Turn left, turn right. Everything was good. Like, they didn't use like cardinal directions, north, south. They just used left and right, because that's what they knew she would understand. And they questioned her, and, and, and finally, after about 45 minutes of talking, they figure out what happened. This, this girl, you got to remember, she grew up in Stillwater, spent her whole life there, had been driving for two years in Stillwater. She knew Stillwater. Whenever she pulled out of her neighborhood, she turned right instead of left. She followed all the directions to the T, but her parents didn't tell her which way to pull out of the neighborhood because they thought she was smart enough to know, hey, if Kansas is to the left, north, when you pull out, turn left, and she had turned right and gone towards Dallas. Cowboy fan. <laughs> Cowboy fan. <laughs> I took me a second, but I got it. <laughs> She had the vision of where she was wanting to go. She had the clarity of where she was wanting to go. But she lacked the ability to steer the car in the proper direction. She followed all the directions. She went what left one mile. But there is a North Highway 51 and there is a South Highway 51. She turned left and went one mile, then turned right and went 35 miles. She followed the directions, but because she didn't have the proper ability to comprehend that Kansas was north and Texas was south, it messed her up from the very beginning. And the vision that she had was never accomplished because she never understood how to put the right proper motion to the vision of which she wanted. The Bible says where there's no vision, what happens? People perish. We have to have a vision for everything that we do. But vision, again, does not bring about the direction. Vision brings clarity to the process, but not necessarily how we're going to get there. The vision of why we exist 
is of uber importance. I personally feel that our vision for our church is very good. The thought process behind this, and you've heard me say this before, was we want lost people saved, we want saved people pastored, we want pastor people discipled, we want discipled people mobilized. But we came up with a little bit catchier way of saying that because that's kind of hard to understand, and we exist to help people Look in your notes, people. We are here to help people. Say the whole line. We are here to help people. You guys can't read your own writing. You're like, what did I write there? How, how do we make the, the vision come alive? How do we exist as a church? To fulfill the vision that God has put before us. That is what we call culture. The culture of the church sets the atmosphere of how the church operates. Have you ever walked into a really cool restaurant? Um, what, what's that one down in Dallas with all the, the forest? Rainforest. Rainforest Cafe. Have you ever been there? No? Okay. It, when you walk in, it's like you walk into the rainforest. They have odor, or not odor, perfumes coming into... <laughs> I, I deal with a lot of odors in my business. So they, they have perfumes uh, going into the air to smell certain ways. They have waterfalls and rainfall, rain, 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 rain areas. They, they have trees. They have monkeys hanging from the tree. They have birds going, like make, when you walk in there, the atmosphere, the culture of what they created takes you to the experience that they want you to have. You can have the opposite of that. You can have a great experience, or you can have a really bad experience. You can go into a room that is lifeless and feel evil, feel darkness. Forgive me for saying this. I walked into... Um, I won't say the name of it. She looked at me. I, I walked into a store the other day and had to turn around and walk out. And it was not a bad store. The atmosphere was so lifeless, I began to get ill walking in the building. A month ago, I was at a house. I pulled up to the house. I got out of my van and said, something isn't right here. I walk into the house, the guy touches me on my back, and his first thing out of his mouth, I'm a Christian too. That's the sign to me that there's demonic activity going on. Because if you have to announce who you think the person who's walking into your room needs to know, you're trying to cover up something. I walk into this house, and it's only happened one other time, one other house I've been into. Uh, I walked into this house, and... It was completely void of life. The air was stale. The, 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 the odor of the house was, was dirty. But it wasn't like a dirt odor, like a dog danders. It wasn't like a, it, just the house had, a, had an aroma about it. As I walked in the house, I talked to the gentleman a few minutes, and he showed me around, and I did my thing, and as I was in there, I began to pray. 
And I begin to pray and pray and pray. I mean, there, there's something going on here. And normally when I go into people's houses, I don't give a flip what's in your house. I'm in so many of them, I just don't care. I don't look around. I don't pay attention. Uh, there's nothing in your house that you can show me that I haven't seen before. I've just been in that many houses, and I don't really care what you have. Um, I'm in his house. I'm doing my carpet thing. And all of a sudden, I look up, and I begin to feel an atmospheric change in the room. So that's what causes me to look up. And I'm like, what in the world is going on here? I look over on the shelf. What do you see? How to become a warlock. How to become a witch. The pentagrams. The candles. I begin to see. I walked right by all sorts of paraphernalia. And I begin to pray even more because now I'm in this guy's house. I don't want anything to get on me. I'm like, no, no, crazy stuff going on here. I'm psycho. The, the culture of which he had created set an atmosphere of the room that when people walked in, you walked into his atmosphere. The culture of which we create will be the atmosphere of what people walk into. Okay. The culture that we allow ourselves to abide in will allow us to see different things. No, I'm going to go down that road. Um, there are some places you go that just have life. You get in there and you're just like, man, I just like being here. Um, Adrienne, I won't say the places, but the, there are a lot of stores in this town that she walks into and she's like, this is so life-giving. I love being at this place. And, and there, <laughs> there are restaurants you go to that she likes the atmosphere of what the, of what the restaurant creates. Um, and they have created this on purpose because there is a culture that they want you to experience because the experience that you have will want you to have more or less of it. Okay? So there is a culture at our church that we want to create and that culture is what feeds into what happens here. And I, I've broken it down into three things and uh, they all start with the letter P. <laughs> So you know it's from God when they all start with the same letter. It's a pastor thing, you know? Um, the, the culture right down is how we exist. If the vision is the why we exist, our culture is the how we exist. We are, right down number one, a house of prayer. Very good. House of prayer. That's the P, prayer. House of prayer. Number two. We pursue God's presence. Number three, we share our story with people. Prayer, presence, and people. The first part of our culture is that we are called to be a house of prayer. That's not just our church. That is every church. But this church is going to hone in on what that looks like. There is something about a home. 
Have you ever been on vacation for a while and said, Man, I kind of miss home? There's something about coming back to home. Scientists actually say that the, the research shows that your body sleeps differently when you're not sleeping in your own home. Uh, you don't have the same sleeping patterns. You're never quite as, uh, um, what's the word, like you've relaxed. You're not quite refreshed when you wake up. Um, that's why actually Tiger Woods, the golfer, uh, flew his own bed to every place he went because his bed, yeah, because this... <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the, the, the research showed that he would sleep better if he took his bed and at his performance level he wanted to make sure he got sleep or whatever Tiger did um, we went on a mission trip to Nicaragua one time had a great time but there was something about when we got home my mom had made our home just that a home it was peace. It was, it was fun to be at. It was a good place to be. And we, we look forward to being home. Um, uh, but for some, home has a bad condensation. Home is abused. Home is memories of, of loss, of hurt, of grief. And if that's been your impression of home, I'm sorry. But that's not what God created the home to be. And so we, we base it off of what God created the home to be, a, a place of peace, a place of, a place of trust, a place of comfort. And so when you look as a house of prayer, a, a, a house of prayer is a place of peace. A house of prayer, what, what does prayer cause you to do? It causes you to find Jesus. When you're in a house of prayer, you find Jesus. And, and when you find Jesus, you know you're in a, a house of prayer. And we're going to, over the next few weeks, talk more about what that looks like. Um, but there's an interesting story in Matthew in your notes that we're going to look at real quick on the house of prayer. And it said, Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, say it out loud. Okay, let's read the bold out loud together. <laughs> Ready? Read. Say it again. But you make it a den of thieves. This is a verse that we've all heard. We know what's going on. Um, but in, in the, the temple, sacrifices would be made. For Jesus to walk in there and to say, you're turning this place into something more is kind of a little weird because the temple, they were always selling things. Because people would come in and make sacrifices. You couldn't carry your cow from out in your field, so you would come to the temple and you would buy a cow or a goat or whatever you was for your sacrifice for the washing of your sins and whatever else you were sacrificing and giving. So why would Jesus this time come in and make a stink about it whenever that was a common practice? The, this same story is told again in Mark, and it adds a little bit of detail to it that we need to understand. 
And it says in, in Mark 11 that Jesus went into the temple and looked at everything that was going on. Then he left. He took the 12 disciples with him. Then it goes on to say that he went back the next day and started creating a ruckus. Why would Jesus wait? There is an important lesson that we need to learn here. I'm going to give you three or four inside this little nugget of wisdom here. Is that so many times we see something we don't like and we think we should act on it immediately. Then there are times whenever you see something and you don't act on it immediately. Jesus is teaching us that we don't react to what's taking place, we respond to what's taking place. We see something we don't like about someone or a ministry or something else, and we feel it's our responsibility to go set them straight. You see someone driving down the road and they cut you off, what are you going to do? Give them the stare down when you drive by. Like, hey, I recognize that you recognize that I recognize that you did something that you weren't supposed to do. And I'm going to let you know that I recognize that you know that you, you, you know, you get mad and you yell at them, you do whatever. And, and, and maybe it's a coworker that offends you and you think it's your responsibility to set them straight. Maybe a friend starts gossiping about another friend or saying something about somebody else. And you take what they said as fact. And you don't know the story. You're not involved in the story. So now you're a part of gossiping. What, what Jesus did here was he saw what was going on. And then he left to analyze the situation. To determine the best course of action. But, but he also, whenever he went and looked at the situation... He wanted to show grace. He wanted to see maybe, just maybe, today they were doing something that they didn't normally do, and I'm not going to make my judgment based off a one-time event. I'm going to give them the chance to change what they were doing and not take advantage of the people coming in there to buy and sell, but rather they were just having an off day, so I'm going to allow my grace to show them I'm not going to judge them based off of a one-time offense. I don't think you're getting that one. There are times when you walk into a situation and you have to assess the situation. Leave and think it through and then come back with your response. Most of the time, your response will be much less hectic or different than if you would have had time to Think about it. The temple was made to host the presence of God, but man tried to use it for personal gain and profit. When Jesus looked around, he saw the merchants were charging more than they should have. He, they, he was ripping, they were ripping people off. The, the, does that sound like something going on today? Just maybe Jesus is about to come in and start turning some tables over in America. The temple. Everybody say the temple. The Bible says we are the what? The temple of the Holy Spirit. The significance in this story is not that Jesus created a scene. It was Jesus was showing you that in your temple, in your life, 
You cannot be about money. You cannot be about bad business deals, about dishonesty, about a lack of integrity. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit and you have to drive out everything in you that will cause you to no longer have the experience that you were destined to have in the place where God can dwell in your life. We look at the temple as, oh, Jesus was creating a ruckus. Jesus was showing there's greater significance in what's taking place. You cannot live in the temple, which you are the temple, and be a place of dishonesty, be a place of lack of integrity, be a place where God cannot dwell. You've got to go in and start turning over some tables in your life to get yourself back into a position that actually goes with what the word of the Lord said this morning, to burn the things out of you. Well, it isn't paying attention to that, but now God shows it to you. To burn the things out of you that cause you to not have what you were created to have in the temple that God destined for you to operate in. I want to stand up and run. <laughs> we are a house of prayer. I'm skipping over so much. We are going to be a house of prayer. Number two, the second element is we're going to pursue God's presence. It simply means that our worship is for Him. We are hungry for the presence of God. You can't live the Spirit-filled lifestyle and not have turned over all the things in your life that need to be burned out of you. When, when we are pursuing God's presence, you become like Him. You see how our vision and culture is starting to kind of merge in together? You believe and then you belong because you're in the temple and then you become. You see how this is working? There's this book called um, Practice the Presence of the Lord. And the whole gist of this book is if you're practicing the presence of God, the worst part of your day and the best part of your day are no different. Because you are abiding in the Spirit-filled lifestyle, abiding in the presence of God, you now respond to every situation as if God is in the middle of it. So the worst situation and the best situation is the same. You respond the same way. We did a whole five-week series on faith. It takes faith. You respond the same way. It doesn't matter what the situation looks like. It doesn't matter what someone says. It doesn't matter what's going on. I've been in the presence of God, so I respond the same way in all situations. And the third element is we want to share our story with people. It simply means that we're evangelistic. We have a mindset to serve people. We did it yesterday. It was great. It's not enough. It's just the start. We're just getting, I told you all ago, and I apologize for it. Six months doing this, I've been trying to write messages. I haven't been leading the church. It's time we start leading the church. I'm, I'm not as uncomfortable up here anymore. And so, therefore, I can kind of think two different ways. To preach and to lead. And we've got to start leading the church to where God's called us to go to create the atmosphere and the culture that we want. 
So we show our community that we love them. And that's a great thing to say. And it's really easy to go do an outreach, which we're all about, and we will be doing them more and more often. But the question becomes, how do you share your story? I've heard my entire life, it's the church's responsibility to get people saved. It's the church's responsibility. And you, you know what? They're right. But the part they're missing, you're the church. <laughs> they're, they're, people are trying to say the church building, what happens there is the responsibility of leading people to Christ. That's a byproduct of what happens here. But it's your responsibility. It's my responsibility to share our story with people, to get people to believe in Jesus. So, the question becomes, how do we share our story? When we look at what God's called us to do, your story matters. I hate when people say, I don't have a testimony. You know what I saved it for? I don't have one either. But I've got a great testimony, and I'll share it with you in a few weeks. You have a testimony. You have a story. Every single one of us does. So how do you share your story right now? Number one, what was I like before Christ? Number two, what turned me to Christ? And number three, what am I like after Christ? It's that simple. What was I like before Christ? What turned me to Christ? What was I like after Christ? And let me tell you this, if your after Christ doesn't look or if your after Christ looks like your before Christ, let's talk after service. <laughs> okay. Your after Christ should be different. So here's your homework. I came to church for homework. I left you plenty of blank space down here to start your story. Your story is not in your head. Your story's on paper. How many of you have led someone to Christ in the last week? Two weeks? Three weeks? Four weeks? Okay. I'm not saying that to condemn you. I'm saying that how many people have done your job, your vocational, what you do for money in the last week? Every one of us. How many have you done it in the last two weeks? How many people have told somebody that you loved them in the last week? Family member. Yeah. 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 Why? Because you know how to do it. If you know how to do something, you're willing to do it. This guy is an electrician. He called me the other day or texted me before we went to the outreach and said, hey, if they need something that I can help with outside of whatever they need, like I can do electricity, I can maybe help with something. Why? Because he knows how to do it. If we call Terrence, every time I have an electrical problem, Terrence knows if I call him, that means I need something. If I text him, I don't need anything. He doesn't answer my phone anymore, but he has no problem. <laughs> he won't charge me as much. <laughs> if, I know, if I know how to do something, I'm willing to do it. I can drop him 
in any place in America and he can start doing the electric on the house. Why? Because he knows how to do it. Why aren't you leading more people to Christ? Because you don't know how to do it. If you knew how to do it, you would be doing it. We're friends, right? I am your friend. But I'm also here to grow together. How many people have brought up God to a stranger in the last week? Two. Why not? Because we get nervous. We're not sure what's going to happen. Devin, can I tell your story? Or would you rather me not? The one you told Adrienne? Oh, was I not supposed to say that I knew that? I'm going to give the mile high view. You had an unction to talk to this guy about coming to church. And she's like, I always just got so nervous. And so whenever I would kind of feel that inside, I just... Anxiety kicks in and sweats break out and all this stuff. And she said this last week, she's like, I'm just going to do it. I'm, I'm going to do it. And I'm paraphrasing, and you'll tell the story again in a couple of weeks. But she, he, she said... I got the guts to do it, and whenever I did it, it was a lot easier than I thought it was. I had built up in my mind how terrible it was. The guy was going to, she didn't say this, but here's what we do in our mind. We think, he's going to start asking me doctrine stuff that I don't know how to, and theology of things that I don't have a clue. So I'm just going to keep my mouth quiet because if I say something wrong, then I'm going to lead him to hell, and that's on me, and I don't want to do that. And so we build up this story in our head that we can't do it, and all reality is God just says, you start talking, and I'm going to start speaking through you. But if you don't know your story, you don't know how to start the conversation. So what's your story? I can put my dad in any situation. Because I've seen him do it. And he can take any conversation you start and get you back to where you're focused on God. He can get you confessing things that you never even did. <laughs> no. <laughs> Why can he do that? Because he knows what to do. He knows his story. He knows what God has done in his life. And he says, what I look like before Christ, what I look like after Christ, I've got to tell you because I'm not the same person. You've heard the old story. Why would you allow a baby to go and crawl into the, the kitchen to drink a bottle of Drano if you knew it would kill it? You would be absolutely the worst person in the world if you sat back and watched. We're watching people go to hell every day because we're scared. We think we're not good enough. We think we don't know what to say. But I'm here to tell you, today it changes. Today, we're going to start coming alongside of you. We're going to work with your story. We're going to start putting ourselves in places to grow.
So what's this going to look like? I'm turning this off, so I'm, I'm done, but I'm not. Three sections, prayer. Dad's going to focus on prayer. Our Sunday morning monthly prayer gathering will be a part of it, and then he's going to be starting a small group for those who want to learn how to pray. And I'm talking, we're praying the house down. Very intentional. How to, how to pray for people, how to pray for sick people, how to pray in general. Pursue his presence. That was a second culture of the Pete. That's going to be my mom. She is going to, she called Adrian the other day. She's like, I've got a syllabus. I'm like, what do you mean you have a syllabus? She's like, my class is going to be great. I'm like, she's like, I'm so glad I get to have a syllabus. And, and I'm like, mom, this isn't a college course. And she's like, oh, yes, it is. She's like, we're going to take these people to a place they didn't even know they could get. And it comes to the spirit-filled lifestyle. And then the third is to share your story with people. And that's going to be my focus. So dad's going to be teaching. We're, we're going to spend a crazy amount of time around this periodically. It's not going to be week in and week out, but periodically. Because the culture of our church needs to be, number one, a house of prayer. Everything we do must be bathed in prayer. The second thing is to be a place where we pursue God's presence. If you are living like the world all week long, you cannot come into encounter the, the, the true presence of God. So you've got to get rid of everything in your life that contradicts that so you can be in God's presence. So therefore, on Sunday mornings, in small groups, in different environments that we're going to go into, outreaches and things, you are walking in the presence of God. You don't have to try to get there. You are already there. And number three, we're going to share our story with people. And when we share our story with people, and we've been praying for them, and we've been living the life, pursuing God's presence, what's going to happen? People are going to come and they're going to believe in Jesus. They're going to belong to a family. They're going to become a fully devoted follower. And they too are going to build God's kingdom. And you've just built the kingdom of God by praying, by being in God's presence, and by sharing your story with people. Thank you for tuning in today. For more content like this, visit our website, www.pathwaychurchok.com to see the variety of ways you can download this content and so much more. It's our pleasure that you would tune in, and we believe that if you take the content you just heard, write down the parts that spoke to you, and work on a plan to apply it, you will not be the same person a year from now. We hope today you can take this content, apply it, share it, let it change you, and you can become all God has called you to become. Thank you again for tuning in. We'll be together again soon. Until then, keep growing.